holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this one receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And so he divided the property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey to a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he'd spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went out and hired himself to a countryman, in that, a citizen of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he longed to feed on the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? Yet here I perish hungry. I will arise and go to my father and will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. And he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it that we may eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But the older son was in the field. And when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? And his father said, My son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it was fitting that we should celebrate and be glad because this, your brother, was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Luke to record these words. We believe they not only had power in Luke's day, but they have power today if we will but hear them 
And so we pray, Father, send your Holy Spirit afresh that we may have this word opened to us, that we would be changed more and more into the likeness of Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Why is the elder son so unlike his father? Why is the elder son so unlike his father? I mean, when the father first sees the younger son returning, what is his response? Verse 20 says that he had compassion on him and he ran to him and embraced him. What is the reaction of this older brother when he first hears news of his brother's return? Verse 28 says he was angry and he refused to go in. On this third week, the last week of this journey through the prodigal father, this parable, we have to ask the question, why is the elder son so unlike his father? The problem is that the elder son doesn't understand the relationship that he has with his father. The problem is the elder son doesn't understand the relationship he has with his father. The elder son demonstrates in this text that he thinks that his relationship with his father is based on his performance. It's based on what he does. And see, when he misunderstands this fundamental relationship with his father, he's going to end up misunderstanding all the other relationships in his life. I'll say that again. Because he misunderstands this fundamental relationship with his father, he ends up misunderstanding all the rest of the relationships in his life. You see, the elder son thinks that he is accepted or rejected based on his performance. The elder son believes that he is accepted or rejected based on his performance, and therefore the elder son accepts or rejects others based on their performance. Look at verse 29 and 30 with me. We're in Luke chapter 15, verse 29 and 30. He answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Which means I've got a great performance record. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I'd celebrate with my friends. That's what I got for a good performance record. Verse 30, but this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, for him you kill the fattened calf. Lousy performance record. And if you're at all like the elder son, and, and for a moment here saying, you know, it, when you put it that way, it is kind of unfair. I mean, do you feel that? Do you feel that it is kind of unfair? I mean, he's, the elder son has is, is done well, and the younger brothers messed up everything, and it doesn't seem fair. And if you have that feeling that it's not fair, that's, that's healthy. That means you're a human being. You're supposed to feel a bit of that. And, and don't worry. Human beings need to hear the gospel. 
So you, we start there, we're not going to end there. But the elder brother, the elder son feels that this is totally unfair because his performance rating is so much better than his brother's. You see, this whole parable, all three weeks that we've examined this, this whole parable that Jesus tells of the prodigal father has really been, friends, for the sake of the Pharisees. It's for the sake of the Pharisees that are listening in. Because this whole thing began with a scandal between Jesus and the Pharisees. Verses 1 to 3 of, Matthew, of, of Luke 15 tells us that the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They're grumbling because Jesus is welcoming and eating with those who have extremely lousy performance scores. These are the wrong types of people. Jesus, you don't eat with these people. Have you seen their performance records? We're the Pharisees. I'm just saying, we got pretty good performance records. And so Jesus into this is telling this parable for the sake of Pharisees. These Pharisees and scribes, they are the older brother. And friends, we have to acknowledge that many parts of our lives, we are the older brother as well. And Jesus tells this parable to reach older brothers and sisters. Jesus tells this parable to reach and save older sons and older daughters. This final section of the parable we're going to look at now is Jesus' cure for older brothers and sisters. What Jesus does here is he unpacks two things about older sons. He shows them two things. He says, first of all, that older sons are beastly, and even so, older sons are beloved. He's revealing two things. Older sons are beastly, even so, older sons are beloved by the Father. So let's look at this together. Older sons are beastly. Well, younger sons are beastly too. We saw that in the first part of the story. Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Goes off and ruins his life. I mean, the younger son is beastly too. The difference though is that younger sons who hit rock bottom have a much easier time recognizing their beastliness. I've wrecked my life. The difficulty is older sons who play by the rules who look great on the exterior, who always do the right thing, it seems, they have a much harder time realizing their own beastliness. I am the eldest of three sons. Eldest sons love to show younger sons how to play by the rules, and they love to report to their parents about every infraction. I was excellent at this, and I would often hear the refrain bellowed through the house, you are not a parent, Paul. Jesus reveals how beastly the older brother really is. He's not as wonderful as he thinks he is. Verse 25, we begin. The older son was in the field. And we stop right there and say, what's wrong with that? He's in the field. 
He's doing his job. He's getting a good performance rating. Well, in comparison with the father, who but a few verses earlier, we realize, was out looking for this lost son, it means that while the father is busy looking for his lost son, the older brother is off in the field working. He's not looking. And you may say, now, come on, Paul. He's doing his job. Someone's got to do the work. Someone's got to be responsible. Of course, but is not this parable full of servants in this household? This is a household full of servants. There's servants listed all the way through. There's people who can be out doing the work. The older brother has no reason that he has to be in the field. Like the father, he could have said to the servants, I need you to go work the field because I've got this extremely important job. I need to find my younger son. And the brother should have been in the same position of saying, yes, just like dad is, I'm looking for my brother. My brother's lost. You servants go to the field. Keep the family household functioning. But he doesn't. Now, if you think I'm indicting him too quickly on this one little thing, don't worry, I got plenty of evidence against the older son. Look at verse 28. At news of the younger brother's return, his reaction is anger. He was angry. But also note what happens. He refuses to go in. And he refused to go in. Now, for us, this may seem like a natural thing. But in the ancient Near East, we need to realize that if there ever was a large feast or celebration, especially if the village was gathered, the older son has a vital role to play. He is to be in the household helping his father co-host the celebration. He's got to be right there at his father's side as the eldest son, making sure there's enough food, making sure that the music is going well, that everyone is having a wonderful time. Because if the party goes badly, that will bring shame on the household. His job is to get into that feast. But he refuses to go in. He refuses to go in. Shocking. This is a big deal. Now, the father, verse 28, goes on to say that he came out and he entreated him. Literally, his father comes out and begs him to come in. Please, my son, come in. Now, interestingly, the father has to do this while the guests are present. He has to do this while the guests are there. You see, in the ancient Near East, if this older son had an issue with this feast being held, you know what he should have done? He should have just held his tongue put on a decent face and gone in and helped the party happen. And then afterwards, after everyone went home, he could privately confront his father and say, what is this all about? But instead, no, he publicly embarrasses his father by making the father leave the feast and come outside while the guests are present and beg his older son to come in. This father is humiliated for the second time today by a lost son. And then he speaks. Oh, it gets worse and worse. And he opens his mouth. Verse 29, he answered his father, look. No honorific, no title. No, my father, oh father, look. If you want, you can take your Bibles and write in, look, old man. I mean, it's disrespectful. I'm going to tell you something. Look. 
all these years, I have served you, is what verse 29 says. It literally means slaved under. All these years, I have slaved for you. Wow, what does that say about his relationship with his father? All these years, I've been working real hard, getting the best performance rating in the household. It has been utter slavery, old man, but I've done it well. There's something wrong with this relationship. And then he says, and I've never disobeyed your command, which is rich, coming out of his lips now as he's refusing to come into the party. I've never disobeyed your command. I've got a perfect performance rating. And you never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. I love that this older brother, this older son's view of what is cause for celebration is hanging out with his buddies rather than celebrating a lost, dead brother come home. Hanging out with your buddies, that's worth a feast. Dead brother come home. Do you see how broken this is? There's something wrong with this boy. There's something beastly in this older son. And then in verse 30, we come to the worst part. If we thought it was bad, it gets so much worse. Because he says in verse 30, but when this son of yours, not brother of mine, son of yours, came, who has devoured the property with prostitutes, just as a side note, there's no reference anywhere else in the text to prostitutes. There's reckless living. It may well have been prostitutes. We don't know. There's nothing in here that says prostitutes. The older son hasn't even seen his brother yet, and he's already ready to accuse him. I know what he did with the money. But it's not the false accusation or the potentially false accusation. It's the problem. What the brother is doing in verse 30, when he's pointing out to his father just how bad his brother is, is he is invoking Deuteronomy chapter 21. You all know what Deuteronomy 21 is, right? We've got Deuteronomy memorized. Let me read Deuteronomy 21. He's invoking Deuteronomy 21 very likely. This is what he's really saying to his father. Father, remember in the law of Moses what you do with wayward, rebellious sons? Deuteronomy 21 verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone that son to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Verse 30 is the brother, older brother, the older son's way of essentially saying to his father, why did you kill him when you first saw him? There is something beastly and broken in this elder son. He thinks he's got the greatest performance rating, but he is absolutely beastly. But even so, this beastly son is beloved by his father. Look at verse 31. In response to all of this, what does the father say? Son, you are always with me, 
and everything I have is yours. I mean, it's really a way in response to all of this terrible humiliation, beastly behavior. It's like his father is doing for the older son what he did in verse 22 and 23 for the younger son where he says, in response to this broken boy, this beastly boy, bring a robe and put it on him, the best robe, put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and kill the fatted calf that we may celebrate. This father, in response to his elder beastly boy, is saying, I love you. You're my son. You are still beloved. You are still in the household. I still adore you, despite your beastliness. And this, friends, is why I finally, after three weeks, can tell you why the parable is properly, properly titled the parable of the prodigal father. You see, prodigal doesn't really mean wayward in the same way that our common usage has made it come to be, probably because of this parable. Prodigal doesn't mean wayward. Prodigal means one who spends freely, lavishly, even recklessly, one who spends everything. Sure, the younger son is a prodigal. He went and spent his fortune. But it is truly the story of the father who is the great prodigal here, who in the face of broken, beastly boys, spends everything, his honor and his love for these broken boys. He does what the villagers think is unbelievable, unthinkable. He welcomes them in. He spends his love on them freely. He spends his love on them lavishly. He spends his love on them, as the villagers would say, recklessly. He spends everything on his lost sons. He is the great prodigal. But verse 32, this prodigal father puts the question to older sons. Why is your reaction so different than mine? Verse 32, he says, it was fitting. In other words, this is the right thing to do. It was fitting that we should celebrate and be glad because this, your brother, was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. This is the appropriate response, the father is saying to his elder brother. Why can't you respond this way and come in to the feast? Come in. Join the party. Why is the elder son so unlike his father? To put it on a finer point, why am I so often so unlike the Father? Gandhi famously once said, I like your Christ. I do not like you Christians. You Christians are so unlike your Christ. Why am I so often so unlike Christ? Well, the problem is either we have never understood or we forget 
that our relationship with our Father in heaven is not based on our performance. It's based on his prodigal love for us. The problem is that we either don't know and have never known or we forget that our relationship with our heavenly father is not based on our performance but on his prodigal love. Unmerited, unearned grace. And by misunderstanding this most fundamental relationship, it affects our other relationships, doesn't it? I feel the burden in my life of not living more like the Father. Because I think, at least when I forget, I think, I begin to think that I'm accepted based on my performance and I treat others as if they'll be accepted based on their performance. See, it's, it makes a, our relationship with God the Father more like a business relationship than a family relationship. You see, in, in business, I perform and therefore I'm accepted. In family, at least ideally, I'm accepted and then I perform. See how different that is? But Jesus, thanks be to God, tells this parable to reach and, reach and save lost older sons and daughters, the Pharisees, and at times, you and me. And here's the hope. Here's the hope he gives us older brothers and older sisters, older sons and older daughters. He says, acknowledge your beastliness. Your performance record ain't as good as you think it is. It really, really isn't. And in our darkest moments, we know that to be true. Acknowledge your beastliness, but even so, you're beloved. That's the point. Even the older brothers who are this beastly are beloved by the Father, by his prodigal, prodigal love. Who loves like this but the Father? See, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever imagined. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. It takes both parts. You're more sinful than you ever imagined. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. The relationship that God the Father invites us into is not one based on performance but based on his prodigal, unmerited, gracious love. As John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Or Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, while we had yet the worst performance rating, Christ died for us. Or probably the best of all in my mind, 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, had the best performance rating in all of history, 
He who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That his brilliant, perfect performance rating would be placed onto us broken, beastly boys and girls. Beloved. See, friends, if we get this right, if we come to understand this relationship with our Father in heaven, if we stop believing it's performance-based and believing it's all based on his prodigal love, if we do that each and every day as we are prone to forget, watch what happens. It starts fixing our relationships with others around us. As we get that fundamental relationship rightly ordered, it's not based on my perfection, my performance, it's based on his prodigal nature. All of a sudden, I start living a different kind of life towards others. Henry Nouwen, who wrote a fabulous book reflecting on Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son, the prodigal father. Henry Nouwen, who co-founded the L'Arche community with Jean Vanier, another great Canadian. There are a few of them around. Hockey season begins today. We'll see a lot more of them in the next few days. Henry Nouwen writes this about this idea of Ultimately, what is our goal in this parable? He says, after a long life as son, I know for sure that the true call is to become a father or a mother who only blesses in endless compassion, asking no questions, always giving and forgiving, never expecting anything in return, He led me from the kneeling, disheveled son to the standing, bent-over father, from the place of being blessed to the place of blessing. As I look at my own aging hands, I know that they have been given to me to stretch out towards all who suffer, to rest upon the shoulders of all who come, and to offer the blessing that emerges from the immensity of God's prodigal love. How can we elder sons and daughters become more like the Father? Well, we need to know the Father. We need to know how the relationship works. Do you know your heavenly prodigal father? Do you know it's not based on your performance? It's based on his prodigal love? Do you know that in the face of the performance record you think you carry that you are, in God's eyes, beastly but beloved? Perhaps you've never known that prodigal father until today. Today you can say, I receive your prodigal love. Perhaps you know him, but like me, you regularly forget who he is. And you again can say to him today, I receive your prodigal love. The parable ends and begins with eating. I love that it begins with a question of who Jesus eats with, and it ends with the father inviting the older son to a meal. And we don't know what the elder son does. Jesus leaves us on a cliffhanger. Does he come in? Does he stay out? 
which begs the question of you and me, will you come in? Will you stay out? In a moment, we have the opportunity to come to this meal and receive the Father's most prodigal gift, the gift of his own Son for our salvation. Come, all you beastly yet beloved, come receive your Father's most prodigal gift to you, the gift of his Son. Come, all you beastly and beloved, to your prodigal father, for your father is determined to make you more like him. Prodigal. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.